You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Getting in the Word. Hope you've had a a fabulous Christmas, and uh, hope you were able to celebrate with your family and friends the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. And boy, what a great uh, few weeks as we were able to teach the birth of Christ. And at Family Bible Fellowship, we went over the Advent and spent four weeks discussing that. And it's it's good to be back in the saddle here, getting in the Word and and the proclamation of His Word. And so I hope that you. I've had a wonderful time uh, celebrating over this Christmas season, and uh, we're so grateful to have you. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, we're super grateful for you. We don't allow links, uh, pictures, and uh, certainly not sales pitches. So if you want to get booted real quick, which we have no problem doing these days, uh, I have a pretty active admin, and uh, so please don't try to sell your products here. And uh, we just want to keep the channel safe and clean, and that's our resolution for 2021 and 2022. So, But if you're joining us for the first time, you say, why am I muted? Well, you'll be muted until the end of the teaching. And then once that's open, we'll open up the chat for discussion, and we hope that you'll participate. And we want to keep that discussion focused in on the lesson. Um, we, we know there's tons of stuff happening in the world, but we want uh, to to discuss and talk about the lessons for which we'll be teaching on for the next few minutes. And I pray you'll be blessed by the time that you um, spend here. So let's pray and we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, Lord. We just pray for the so many who are struggling this morning with loved ones who are uh, dealing with some difficult things in life and family members in the hospital and, uh, certain folks getting sick and all that stuff. Father, we just pray that you would uh, bless them and, and God, that you would grant them healing and grace. And so, Father, I just pray that as you continue to work and walk with them, God, that they would continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we love you, Lord, and we thank you for this day, for the privilege that we have to gather. We pray a special blessing on each one here. Protect them and uh, Guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. We ask these things. Amen. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, it's Tuesday morning, and we've been working through design for discipleship, and this is a curriculum that's been put out years and years ago. I went through it as a young believer, and it's proven to be extremely helpful uh, in my walk as a young believer and uh, in the discipleship process of many others. And so if you have not downloaded that, if you look above, there's a link there. You can download book one PDF. You can print it out. You can open it on your computer or your phone and follow along if you would like. But uh, nevertheless, we would love for you to join us as we teach through this session. We have worked through the first three chapters uh, of Design for Discipleship, and today we're going to be dealing in uh, chapter four as, um, as we deal with fellowship with Christians. And so what a, what a blessing it is to be able to um, spend the time that we need to uh, fellowship with other believers. 
And so um, I pray this will be a, a great a lesson for us. Uh, Ephesians 2, 4, 6, accept life with humility and patience, generously making allowances for each other because you love each other. Make it your aim to be at one in spirit, and you will be bound together in peace. There is one body, one spirit, and just as it was to one hope that you were called. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is in all, over all, and one working through all, and the one living in all. What a great reminder of, of a significant truth and the importance of genuine fellowship as Christians and believers. Um, there is this reality in which we live in a day when we are so separated, right, um, that we that we can't uh, think about um, that we can't think about all of the craziness that's happening. So, um, anyways, let's jump right in. What is biblical fellowship? What is biblical fellowship? Well. Fellowship, the, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, um, and it, it simply means to have something in common with. Um, it was uh, the, the Greek word koinonia is where they come up with the uh, Greek koine Greek. It was the common language of the day. And uh, so when we think about fellowship, there is something in common. And I suggest that that commonality that true genuine fellowship that we have with one another who are in the faith is our commonality in Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. You've been born again from above. And the reality is, is if you've never been born again from above, then the reality is, is you're not a child of God. And if you're not a child of God, then you and I, those who are in the faith and those who are not in the faith, can't have true genuine fellowship because what partnership, what fellowship does light have with darkness? And the answer to that question is it doesn't. And so I think the important matter is to understand that spiritual concept. So if you are, you are God's child and he is your father of all, what does this tell you about your relationship to others? Well, it says here in 1 John 3, 1, how great a father's love has bestowed on us that, that we would be called children of God, such as we, for this reason, right? world does not know us because it did not know him. So if you are a child of God and, and he is the father of all, what does this tell us about our relationship to others? Well, I think what the, it tells us is that we have to know and understand that we have genuine fellowship with those who are in Christ not those who are not in Christ. Like we have we have this unique fellowship with not the world, um, but with the body of Christ because we are children of God. Fellowship is derived again from the Greek word koinonia, number two here, which means sharing in common. God has given much to share, and as you examine the following verses, determine what 
um, what you can share with others and one practical way to share it. Well, flip over to 1 John chapter 4, and you'll see there a few things. He says here in John chapter 4, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also, what? Love one another. What can you share with those whom you're in fellowship with? Well, I would suggest that you can share love. You can share love. Now, this is where we have to ask ourselves the question, how are we loving one another? I, I, I am in John chapter 15, and I have just finished uh, over the Advent, uh, verses 1 to 11, and this week I'm going to be digging deep into verses 12 onward where it talks about a new commandment to love. And in here in 1 John 4, 21, the commandment which we have from him, that you, the one who loves God, should love his brother also. So, so the idea that we are to share, right, our love with one another. How are we loving the brethren? How are you loving one another? He says here in Galatians 6, 2, that we are to share what? The burdens. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? To love your brother. How do you love your brother? By sharing, right? By sharing the burden, burdens. Now, you know, I got a, uh, a message from someone this morning, and uh, their, their, their mother is in the hospital and their grandmother is in the hospital sick from COVID and not looking good. And, and it's just a devastating circumstance uh, for this person. And so they ask for prayer and just to hear the, the pain that they're walking through is so difficult. And so we need to share in one another's burden. So how can we do that? Well, we can be praying for one another. I mean, there are many ways to share right with with one another there there are many ways to uh to um look after uh, one another and so i think what's important here is to realize and to understand that as we live life together as we have commonality as children of god as we are born again from above we ought to fulfill the law of god which is to love and one way we can do that is to share the burdens and in Galatians 6, 6, he says, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. And so this isn't a pitch for you to take care of me, but nevertheless, um, this is the idea that the one who teaches that has dedicated their life, the pastor, to the ministry has put a, put aside many things. You know, I, I'm my mindset is very entrepreneurial. I love business. I love making money. I, I, but those things that as I've enjoyed them and started several businesses and been very successful in what God has allowed me over the years, those things have had to be put to the side. And so many pastors are in the same position. And I think what this is an encouragement for is that when God blesses you in a certain way, 
there is a benefit to the kingdom work to share all good things with those who teach because they don't have, you know, um, I had a men's breakfast this morning and I, and I listened to these men who are businessmen and they're very successful and here I'm listening, you know, Oh, you know, it's, it's nice to live debt free and it's nice to have all these things. And I'm sitting here going, man, I wish I was debt free and, and Lord knows whether I would be, if I were in the business world, uh, nevertheless, God has called me to do what I'm doing, and that's to teach his word, not to go out and to make uh, money doing business. And so it's important that you, as in your communities and in your churches, that you take care of your pastor so that they can press forward and accomplish. You know, it's not like Stuart Guthrie has a 501, a 401k or a retirement plan. My retirement plan is completely consistently relying on Jesus. And many of the pastors out there are the same way. You know, we're not a mega church. We don't have mega money. We're a small church in a small community, and God has really blessed us. But one way you can help is to take care of those who teach you and uh, share good things with them, not necessarily material things in a way, but whatever you can do to help them where they can continue doing and fulfilling what God has called them to do. And so if I was not a pastor, man, I would be, I would be right there with my pastor, whatever he needs. I want to make sure he's taken care of. So I didn't have the worries of the things, but he can take care of all that God has entrusted to him. And so it's easy for me to say that as a pastor, but you know, nevertheless, uh, I think it's a great, uh, this fellowship of Christians working and loving and serving together, accomplishing all that God has set before them. And so he He wants us to be reminded that we are to love. And the way we do that is we share burdens. Uh, we, we share all good things with those who teach. And then if we look at James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. How can you? As the, as, as the child of God, love one another, pray for one another. You say prayer just seems so weak. You know, it just it seems like we need to get out and do something. Yet there is that aspect of it. But let me tell you what, God can accomplish more in 20 minutes than you can accomplish in 20 years. And so we need to keep the priority to priority, and that is whatever we do, we do it into the glory of God, trusting in God. And the way that we share is we share the burdens by prayer for one another. And so that's four ways in which you can share as fellowship uh, in, in koinonia, in fellowship with one another. Number three, recall an incident when you were reluctant to allow someone to share with you. Did your attitude hinder their attempt at sharing? If so, how? This is a personal thing, and I think we can all at some point uh, consider a time in which we said, oh, you know, that sounds really good. I, I think of a, a moment in the last uh, few years of my life when someone wanted to do something extremely nice for me and my family, and and my first reaction was, no, I, I appreciate it. I, I, we just, we're not comfortable with that. 
well, I, I can't read Galatians 6, 6 and then reject the gift somebody offers, right? Like there needs to be this balance of understanding and not being reluctant for those who want to help you. If, if we are going to love one another, if we are going to share in one another's burdens, if we're going to share all good things, if we're going to be in prayer, then you and I need to make sure that we are not reluctant when someone wants to pour out those things on us. And so, you know, that, that is the reality. Um, so, yeah, I think we've all been in that position at some point where we were like, you know, no, thank you, or I appreciate it. And, and many people do that with the gospel. Um, listen, the free gift of salvation. But if I give you a gift, you have two options. You can accept that gift or you can reject that gift. And many do that with the gospel because the reality is, is they, they, they want to work their way to the kingdom of God or some other access by which they can get to God. When God says, no, 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 it's a free gift of salvation. All you need to do is receive the gift. And many of us need to receive the gifts of love and compassion and grace and sharing all good things with you. Um, don't be so prideful that you're not willing to take uh, a blessing from someone else. And that has taken a level of humility over the years as a pastor, because I can tell you, I'm the kind of guy, and I can only speak for myself. That's why I'm making it about me, because I can only understand where I come from. But where I come from is I'm a man and I don't need anybody. Um, I, I don't understand this whole concept of I, don't, I can't find work. I, that, that does not even fit into my psyche. No, there's work. There is plenty of work. There is great. The greatest opportunity of work we've ever seen in our day is today. And so, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy who says I don't need anything from anybody. If I want, if I need this, I go get this. And I'll go get a job and I'll do whatever it takes to take care of that. But what we have to be reminded of is that's pride. And so when someone offers to give you something or tries to bless you with something, there is a level of pride that will say, you know what? I'm not interested in that. I can take care of them. I don't need your money or your, your, uh, your help. And so we need to make sure that we're not doing that sharing, um, is important, and we need not to hinder those who try to fulfill what they've been called to do in sharing and loving and sharing burdens and sharing all good things and praying for one another. So sharing involves giving, and it revolves in receiving. It's uh, the both are integral parts of meaningful fellowship. Sometimes, guys, you are the giver. Listen. Sometimes you're the receiver. For many years, I was a giver. And for many years, I've been a receiver in both. It is both and, not one or the other. If you find yourself as a only a receiver and never a giver, then you're out of balance. Uh, you, you, you know, I was talking to my father yesterday. Um, we went and spent some time together out on the golf course and and, uh, and we were talking about Christmas and the gifts and receiving. And I, I just was telling him how hard it is for me sometimes to receive gifts from people because um, it just is a prideful area of my life that God has really worked on. But I said, you know, what I really appreciate is the opportunity to give. And when those 
opportunities arise, my wife and I love the privilege of giving where we can and how we can. One way we give is we give to the church. Every week we pay our tithes and our offerings. We, we try not to rob God of what God, God owns everything we own. We own nothing. We are only stewards of what God has entrusted us to, and we will not take anything with us. And thus, we have to steward our finances and our material possessions, our time, our talents, and our treasures in a way that honors God, and we do it among the fellowship. And so, um, you know, we've had the privilege of blessing people, and people have had the privilege of blessing us, and it's a, a beautiful give-and-take fellowship. And sometimes you are the receiver, and sometimes you are the giver. And that's important to be reminded of. It isn't one-sided. So if you are a great giver and you give, 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 sometimes you need to receive. So don't don't be prideful and fail to uh, to see that necessity as a Christian. Um, the fellowship is is both ways. So number four, fellowship, a Christian fellowship together on the basis of the fact that they are forgiven sinners, forgiven yes, but still sinners. Knowing this fact, what is your responsibility towards your brother when he's offended you? You see, this is an important message because, um, and, uh, you know, as I think about this, um, no, I'm not going to do that because I don't want, if you've, I watched the Spider-Man movie last night with my son and my, my, my sons and my daughters at the movie theater, the nine, 10 movie and we didn't get done to like 1230. But uh, there was a great example of this um, in the ending of the movie. And so if you haven't watched that, uh, it's a really good movie and uh, it's got a great lesson to be learned in it. That is not not only a great movie, but a great spiritual lesson. And so um, here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22 to 24, it says, but, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Okay? And uh, whoever says to his brother, you are good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and therefore, remember, your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. Then come and present your offering. So here what we find is the necessity of forgiveness. And many of us, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're good at giving, we're good at receiving. But nevertheless, we need to be reminded of the necessity that you, because you were born into sin and you will not be sin-free until you are glorified, that we are all sinners. (laughs) And therefore, I will offend you or you will offend me and everybody will offend each other. But what we have to be reminded of, of is that we are not focusing on the temporal things, the now things, but the eternal life. And when you have an eternal perspective, you are much more apt to forgive. And some of us need to understand what forgiveness is. 
Because what we like to do, which you are not God, and you are not, it is not your responsibility to crucify people. Your job is to pray and to love for those people. Now, there's a difference in false teaching and calling false teaching, false teaching, and um, but there is a place in our culture that says it's okay to, to just crucify people. It's not your response. You are not God. And God says, I will repay. I will repay. Leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance, he says in Romans chapter 12, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. When your enemy is hungry, feed him. Does it say beat him up? Does it say blaspheme him? Does it say talk bad about him on social media or on Telegram? Does it say blast their name to the public? No. It says when your enemy is hungry, feed him. When he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. And here it says when your brother has offended you and you are angry with them, you shall be guilty. So you better learn to forgive because how can you be forgiven if you're unwilling to forgive? That's the concept. You have been forgiven by Almighty God because of your sin, and your sin is no greater than their sin, and their sin is no greater than your sin. Sin is sin, and all sin will lead you straight to the pit of hell. And unless you are forgiven of that sin by the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no hope for you, my friends. You, you need to be reminded this morning, someone needs to forgive somebody. And forgiveness isn't, hey, you know, I forgive you, but I'm going to remind you every time I see you. I'm, I'm, you know, I forgive you. I show grace where grace is available, but then I'm going to crucify you every chance I get. You know, there's, there is a, a, a false reality in that. And here in Matthew chapter 5, there's a stark warning. Leave your altar, your gift. Your, your offering before the altar. Go be reconciled. Then come present, present your offering. Because if you present that offering in an attitude of unreconciliation, then your offering is in vain. And God doesn't like it. Leave your gift. Be reconciled. And so that's a, an important reminder that as the body of Christ, we are forgiven sinners. Forgiven, yes, but still sinners. So this, not only should you be the driving force behind seeking the forgiveness of those that you've offended, but what is your responsibility when someone has offended you? What is your responsibility? Well, Matthew chapter 18, there in verse uh, 15, and in verse 35, we learn, if your brother sins, go to him and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Can I ask you an honest question? Do you follow that guideline? Do, do you go to your brother in private? Or do you spread it all over the Internet? Listen, God's standards are God's standards, and no one gets to skip out on that standard. 
No one gets to skip out and say, well, I can do it my way. No, 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 no. God's way is God's way. And when we do things God's way, things work. And when we do it our way, it's destructive. And we have a bunch of destructive folks today who are reckless with their mouths in their blaspheme against one another in a public forum. We have, we have allowed gossip and slander to be okay because it's not face-to-face. -face. It's okay to do it on social media. No, it's not. It is not, my friend. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault. Well, you know, he's not even a Christian. How do you know that? Who died and made you God, my friend? Your, your job is not to determine whether somebody is a Christian or not. If they've trusted Jesus Christ, they put their faith in the gospel, they may be very low on the totem pole of sanctification. But you don't have the authority to determine whether someone is born again from above. That's God's job. What your job is to go to that person in private. Now, he says you'll know them by their fruit. But he didn't say how much fruit, did he? You might have one apple on the tree while Betty Joe over here has a tree full of apples, but there's still a fruit on the tree. So be very careful. Leave the judgment up to the one righteous judge, and you do what you've been instructed to, and that is to go to that person in private, one-on-one. -on -one. And if he listens, you won your brother. And many times he doesn't, my friend. Or she doesn't. And that's why he says here in verse 35, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. How many times? Well, go read Matthew 70 times 7, an unlimited amount of times. Christians, listen, can honestly share their lives together. You don't have to pretend to be something you are not. We all are jacked up, my friends. We all have issues. We all have sin. We all have little issues that we struggle with. Nevertheless, we need to be open with one another. That doesn't mean I need to sh share all my dirty laundry with you. But nevertheless, I need to be open and transparent where I don't make myself higher than you. I'm no different than you. I'm just fulfilling the purpose for which God has called me to, and that's to teach and preach the Word of God. So, so, so we need to be reminded of that truth. We should be able to share openly and not be crucified for being that. If we are to confess our sins to one another, then we have to be very hesitant to crucify when they do share. Right? So we have to be very subtle, calm, collective, understanding who we are in Christ. I think we forget what we are. You know, I was talking to my, my, my dad yesterday about my kids, and he said one day when they grow up and, you know, if they ever get money, they're going to buy you this car. And there's this dream car that I've had. And uh, my dream car is a Porsche, and it's not a, like the new Porsches that are 100000 It's an old Porsche. 
and uh and uh i i there was one online for sale and i'm in the market for a car and so i asked my wife do you think it'd be appropriate for me to buy this porsche it's twenty thousand dollars and she said no <laughs> i said why she said because you'll look like a prosperity preacher and i said well that's true so but they but my dad said well one day your kids will buy you a car and then it'll be a gift and there's nothing you can do about it and and uh and and the, and the the point I'm trying to make is that um, we 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 have to be very careful to make judgments against one another because you never know the circumstances. And we can share our lives together and be open and honest and transparent without being so judgy. Um, but nevertheless, number five, picture. The following situation, several Christians are in the same room drinking coffee, eating donuts, as they discuss last week's championship game. The conversation moves to the subject of which animal makes the best household pet. Then one of them tells a joke he recently heard, and they enjoyed a good laugh and began to talk about the weather forecast. And for tomorrow, as one of them leaves, he says, it's sure good to have Christian fellowship. So here's a transition. Um, the question is, is this genuine fellowship, genuine Christian fellowship? Now, there, when we usually walk through this in a group setting, you'll get a lot of dif different answers here. Um, in some aspect, it's fellowship. You're together, you're spending time together, but is it true Christian fellowship? I would say no. And here's why I would say no, because true Christian fellowship is Christ-centered. The conversation about donuts and about the game and about joking and all that are great aspects of being together and living life among each other. But true Christian fellowship gets down to the nitty-gritty. It gets down to the scriptures. It gets down to real-life Christian relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ doing life together. How is God changing your life? What is it that God's teaching you this week? What is it you've learned in, in Scripture? Tell me what God is teaching you. And I think that's how it can improve, is we can take those things and we can have fellowship and we can talk about the game and we can tell jokes with one another, but we always have to turn every conversation to gospel conversation. Because at the end of the day, none of those other things matter. What matters is our eternal perspective. Every circumstance we face in life is an opportunity for gospel understanding. I think that's how we improve our fellowship. We talk about the Word of God. We talk about what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives through the Word of God. That allows us to have that genuine Christian fellowship. So the purpose, what is the purpose of fellowship? Well, why is it important? That would be a good question. Number six, why is um, fellowship important? Well, listen to what he says in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So if, right, you are going to have genuine fellowship, the reason it's beneficial is because it's sharpening one another. You're, you, you are growing one another, but, you're, but you grow one another by 
dealing with spiritual things together. And so we have to ask the question, right? Are we having this true biblical fellowship that allows us to, to work together to a common goal, which is growing in our faith, growing in sanctification, allowing the Spirit of God through the Word of God to grow us and allowing one another to sharpen each other. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either one of them fails, falls, one will lift up his companion. Woe to those, to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. So we can help one another. And I think that's important to be reminded of. Why? What's the purpose? Helping one another. So how are we helping one another? How are we taking care of each other? That's a great question that we need to be reminded of and ask ourselves. Um, what's the purpose in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, right? What's the purpose uh, of meeting together as believers? Well, he says here, let us consider how to stimulate one another in love, to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We live in a day when people will miss church, and they'll miss that fellowship, that assembling together, because they are either too busy are too focused on other things. We'll have people who will leave church early to go do some kind of sports, or we'll have some family who will miss church because their child had a football game or a golf match or whatever the case may be. Here's the deal. Do not forsake the assembly of the together. One of the things that we have made a priority in my family, and that's that's really what it boils down to, is what is your priority? One of the priorities the Guthrie's have made, we don't miss church. We don't miss church activities. We're going to keep the main thing the main thing. You can get wrapped up in all of these, you know, things of this world. But I'm here to remind you, the purpose of meeting together is to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. And you, you can't do that if you're there alone at home. You can't do that in worshiping up in the mountains with God out in nature. Of course, you can worship God in, in nature. But that ain't how God expects you to do it alone. No, he wants Sunday to be the day of the Lord in which you come together and you stimulate one another in love and good deeds. And there is the church and there is the teaching of God's word and there's the leadership who is leading the church and there are the fellowship and the Bible studies and the communication and the memorizing of scripture and the praying for one another and the crying with one another and the laughing with one another. If you can't do all of those things in your church, then you ain't in the right church. If you have to sit home because you're crying and you don't want to embarrass yourself, you ain't in the right church. If I'm crying, I don't want to be anywhere but in church so that people of God can love on me, show me compassion, show me grace, and be merciful to me because that's what we do. The purpose of meeting together as believers is 
to love, to, do, to good deeds. So how are we doing, folks? How are we doing? How many missed church this Sunday and have missed the fellowship? Listen, the, the reality is this. I've and, and, and I've been in ministry for many years. Here's the deal. If you miss Sunday, next Sunday will be a whole lot easier to miss. And the next thing you know, you'll find yourself in a habit of living life outside of the family of God. And you'll set aside the Lord and his day and to worship him through the preaching of the word of God, through the worship of the word of worship of God, through singing and praises and through praying together as the body of Christ, through implementing the Lord's table together, uh, seeing and, and understanding the aspect of of baptism and all of those things that happen within the body of Christ. The reality is, is God is working. And you are either in it or you're missing it. The purpose of meeting together as believers is to love my friends and good deeds. So we must do that in order to do that. We must meet together. In studying a verse, it's often helpful to locate other verses elsewhere in the Bible that can relate directly to the one being examined. The other verses are called cross-references. We see that in Scripture. Hebrews 13.3 is a cross-reference to Hebrews 10, uh, 24 and 25. Now, we just read that, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And as we come to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says, But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called a day, so that no one, none of you, will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Why is it necessary that you be in church on Sunday? You say, well, the church isn't the building. I, listen, you can have that argument all you want. I understand what you're saying. The church is the universal body of Christ, but the church gathers together in the local body of Christ where God has appointed leaders and elders and deacons and the structure of the local assembly. The building is nothing but the people assembled together to worship. And why is it necessary? Well, it's necessary to encourage one another so that so none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, it is so easy to be blind to your own sin. And if everybody's telling you you have a sin nature and you are exemplifying sin and they've told you in public and they've told you in private, then listen up, my friend. It's probably true. But if you come into the household of God and you are fellowshipping and you're talking and you are genuinely living life together, they're going to tell you that isn't right. And sometimes the truth is this. When you tell somebody, they're already hardened. They've already hardened their heart. And they are blinded by the deceitfulness of their sin. 
But nevertheless, this is my favorite word, you are to be gathering together so that you can love on one another, you can hold one another accountable, and you can be admitting your sins to one another so that you might be forgiven, right? So why is it necessary to encourage one another daily? So that your heart, so that your heart will not, um, will not be, be hardened to sin. So if you haven't been to church and you haven't been in the fellowship, maybe your heart is hardened to sin and you've justified some sin in your life and you've allowed it in because of your unwillingness to fellowship with the body of Christ. So here on number nine, they ask us to explain the importance of fellowship and why it's important to you. And I'll tell you why it's important to me. Why is it that no matter where I'm at, I'm going to be in church Sunday morning. If I go on vacation, the very first thing I do before I leave on vacation is I get on the internet and I find me a church. Why? Because I, I need the body of Christ. I need fellowship with other believers. I need the encouragement and I need to encourage others. And I need my children to see the value and the importance of it. And many parents have made church some lackadaisical event that we can just lackadaisically excuse and go do whatever on that day. Let me tell you what. Listen to me very clearly. You are setting the example for your children, and you will give an account to Almighty God for how you lead those children. And if you make them think that church isn't a priority, shame on you, Dad. Shame on you, Dad. And shame on you, Mom. Because the reality is this. God has called you to lead your family. And some have advocated that responsibility. And they've made church just a day in which hmm, we can do whatever we want. And if we have time for God, we'll give him time. If we don't, he'll forgive me. He's a gracious God. He's a forgiven God. He's a God of wrath as well, my friends. And you reap what you sow. And not only you, your children and the people who you are under your care. So be wise. Fellowship is important because we need it and we're called to do it. Number 10, the body of Christ. God uses the analogy of a body to be described, the relationship of believers with one another and with Christ, who is the head of the body. Why? Colossians 1.8 reminds us of this. Um, the, the reality is he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, he's the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Does Jesus Christ have first thing in everything in your life? Is he first place? Because where you spend your time, your talents, and your treasure, open up your checkbook and see what's first place. Well, you know, I don't have a checkbook. Well, check your banking account. Where you spend your money, where you spend your time, and where you spend your talents will determine what's priority for you. That's the reality. 
the body of Christ is important because he is the head and he should have first place in everything. He is the head because God has made him a head. You, you want to know why? Because all things have been made through him and for him. He is the creator. He is almighty God, and he is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. We need not forget that. For all things have been created both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, not in you and not in me. So if he is going to be first place in our lives, then we have to make him priority. It's in him. All things hold together. So let me ask you this. Maybe you feel like your life falling apart. Maybe it's scattered, smothered, and covered. You got all this drama going on in your life. Let me ask you this. Have you made him first? Because if he is not first in your life, it's in him that all things hold together. So make sure he's priority. Each believer is given different but important responsibilities as well as we deal with this body of Christ, as we deal with individual members of the body, right? He is given responsibility in, 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 our, in, in our spiritual gifts. We see 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 27. He gave various gifts and talents and abilities. Now the question is, do we utilize those gifts? Do we utilize those gifts? Who gave the member of the of the body of Christ these various functions? It's God. It is God Almighty who gives you your spiritual gift. You can't pray for your spiritual gift. You can't close your eyes, squeeze, and speak in tongues because you know you're not really saved unless you're spirit filled and speaking in tongues. Don't believe that mess. No, listen. God is the God who gives. And he gives spiritual gifts to whom he gives spiritual gifts. And the question that is important is, are you using the gifts he's given you? Are you using the gifts he's given you? What's his desire? In verse 25, as we, as we look at 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 27, what's his desire? Well, verse 25, so there will be no division in the body. The members may have the same care for one another. He's given all of these different gifts for the edification of the body so that there is not disunity. He doesn't want there to be disunity. And as we look at verses 14 and 15, or 15 and 16, the reality is if we have this kind of attitude, it could lead to disharmony in the body of Christ. The foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Is it not for any this reason any less a part of the body? No, of course not. If the ear says, because I'm an eye, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, there would be no hearing. 
if if the whole body were ears, where would the sense of smell be? The reality is God has placed each person in the body of Christ just as he has desired. And if we were all one member, if we are all one member, then we'll function properly as a family, as a body of Christ. So we need to understand you are special because you are special because God created you special, and you are special because, well, not only you created in the image of God, you've been born again, and you've been gifted with a spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift is designed for the edification of the body of Christ so that we can have unity in the body of Christ. Are there any unnecessary function members? Of course not. We just looked at that. There may be certain members of the body which seem to be weaker vessels, but they are necessary. If if they if those members of the body which deem less honorable, the reality is they are not. They're equally important. Think about what happens number twelve when you hit your finger with a hammer. How does this affect the body? It hurts the entire body. Well, listen, if the church is being persecuted and we are the universal body of Christ, then it ought to affect all of us and more so specific in the local body of Christ. If there is a member in the body of Christ that's suffering and dealing with issues, it should affect the entire body because we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And thus, in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, then all members rejoice with it. Right? works both ways, for the good and the bad. The body of Christ works together as one unit. It has many specialized organs which perform diverse functions. Every aspect of the body is needed. Summarize in a few sentences in number 13 how both unity and diversity can exist in the body. This is diversity and unity can, can work together in good. You may be different than me, and I may be different than you, and you may have a different approach to things than I do, and those can be helpful. That's vital. And so we need to make sure that we preserve unity within the body of Christ. So how do we do that? Well, flip over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, with all humility. Are you humble? Can you honestly ask yourself this question? Are you humble with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of what? Peace? Is that you? Because what I see in modern-day Christianity is a perversion of this. I see pride. I see anger. I see impatience. And I show a lack of tolerance, which results in not love. I see a lack 
of diligence, to preserve the unity. We don't care about unity in these days. What we care about is being right. Who cares? Swallow your pride. You're not God. We must be humble. We must be gentle. We must be patient. We must show tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is vital for the body of Christ. So, I encourage you, consider yourself. Consider yourself. Number 15, examine your attitude. Examine your attitude. towards other Christians. Is there someone else you find difficult to relate to and love as another member of the body of Christ? Yes. Yeah. Amen. Every single one of us have somebody in our lives that are a pain in the butt. But you know what? If we are going to live out Scripture, then that pain in the butt we must show humility to. We must have gentleness towards them. We must be patient, right? God is patient, wishing that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Aren't you super grateful that God just didn't pour out his wrath on you, but yet he showed you patience and kindness and grace and mercy and forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness? How dare you try to crucify somebody else? When God has been so patient and has shown you and myself so much forgiveness, I ought to be willing to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And though while it is hard, we need to rely on the Spirit of God who is in us. Because what is impossible with man, my friends, is possible with God. So yes, we must examine our attitude toward other Christians. Is there someone you find difficult to relate to and love? Because they don't respond like you expect them to respond. They don't act like you expect them to act. They don't even act like God expects them to act sometimes. I think many times we think baby Christians ought to be like mature Christians. Stop giving people platforms that have no business having a platform because they're not spiritually mature. Sanctification is a process. It takes time doesn't just happen overnight and all of a sudden you're all well-rounded and godly. No, God is working in you and through you for his glory, and it's a process. And I think we give platforms to people in the Christian arena that have, they, they give them a chance to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. I remember when I became a Christian, good grief, I had horrible theology. I, didn't, I was reading the Word of God, and I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know there was a right way to interpret the Bible. I just named it and claimed it, right? But listen, there is those elements. And unless there is a teacher who is engaging and shepherding and encouraging and pointing them in the right direction, it may take them a while to live like you expect them to live, godly and mature. So be patient. Show patience. Show gentleness. Be humble. 
understanding that it is the Spirit of God who works through the Word of God who changes the hearts of people. You don't change people's hearts. I can't change one single person's heart. But what I can do is I can love them, I can forgive them, and I can pray for them, and I can rely on God Almighty to do the work in their hearts if He so chooses. So what steps can you bring about in your life to make harmony in that relationship with these individuals? Well, I would say you need to get on your knees and pray and ask God to give you patience with them, that that you extend to them humility, that when you are offended, you need to understand when you're offended, that's your pride. When you're offended, it's your pride that's hurt. You need to be humble. You need to be gentle, and you need to extend patience and tolerance. Show tolerance for one another in love. How good and pleasant is it when brothers live together in unity? Listen, I always say there's only one thing that's more worse than a contentious wife, and that is a contentious church. And I'm glad I don't have either one. I don't want them. That's why I don't deal with disunity in getting in the Word. I don't have time for disunity. We have a theology. We teach, believe, train, and equip. That's our job. That's our purpose. If you don't like it, there are other channels. You're welcome to make your way there. But we will not stand for disunity on this channel. Because why? Because there is nothing more pleasant than being in unity among the brethren. That's brothers and sisters. So fellowship's important. Fellowship is important in the body of Christ, but it's also important in the local church. What activities of the church in Jerusalem are mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verse 42? We'll flip over there, and we'll look. He says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Listen, three distinguishing marks of the earthly church, the local body of Christ, the gathering of believers, is generosity, prayer, and power. And let me tell you, when those three are happening, I'm not talking about the signs and wonders of uh, the visual things. I'm talking about the power of the gospel, watching real dead soul come to life. There's nothing greater than that. You can see some angels, some spirit. I don't care about that. That's not eternal. What's eternal is seeing a life from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. The mark of a true church is that they are devoting themselves to the teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, we are reminded that... Uh, who is to equip, perfect the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry. We well, gave some as apostles, some prophets, evangelists, some pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we obtained the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the nature, the mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Our job as believers, as teachers, as those called to teach and equip the saints for the work of the ministry is to bring them up 
in their understanding of the Scriptures and trust that through that teaching of the Word of God that the Spirit of God will work through the Word of God and penetrate the heart and that there will be true change, and that there will be unity of faith, and that there will be an acknowledgement of the Son of God, that the gospel will be believed, and that there will be a new birth, and there will be this sanctification in which there is maturity that is being brought. You are growing up in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. It's a beautiful process. And I've been so blessed to see so many people mature in their faith here. That getting in the word of the since March. Yeah, we say, oh, since 70 something people have come to Christ. That's great. Praise God. Hallelujah. But how many of those are truly born again from above? It's none of my business. But what I can tell you is I see the fruit of growth in many of you. And it's a wonderful sign that God is truly working through that humble humility and patience. So, what's the ultimate goal? of Christian ministry, unity of faith, unity of faith. How are we doing with that? Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll look at verses 1 to 5, and I think here you'll see that um, this passage gives direction to leaders and members of the flock. And uh, these are, again, within the local body of Christ. You know, many want to argue, oh, the church is not biblical. No, it is biblical. The local assembly is biblical. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witnesses of the suffering of Jesus Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. He says, shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sober gain, but with eagerness, nor lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, we're simply under shepherds, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You young men, <coughs> Likewise, be subject to your elders. Elders isn't old people. That's not the idea here. Elder, pastor, same word, same meaning. Be subject to your pastor. Pastors, plural. Elders should be plurality of elders. If you don't know what that means, listen to my sermon series on Titus that I just preached. Be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We need to write that on the refrigerator. Because too many opportunities we become proud. There's a wrong way, and there is a right way. The right way is exercising oversight willingly as leaders, shepherding, not lording it over them, not doing it for money, but doing it rather with eagerness, whatever the loss, it's earthly loss. Don't lord it over them and provide way by way of example. So our responsibilities as shepherds is 
as men called by God to preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke with great patience and instruction, is that we are to shepherd well. So what does that mean? Your responsibility as the body of Christ is to the shepherds in your life. To submit to your elders, to be subject to them. Listen, this happens within the local framework of the body of Christ. If you're not a member of the local body of Christ, you're not subject to anybody. You're your own subject, which makes you your own God. Listen, you need a spiritual leader in your life. And that spiritual leader ought to be a qualified elder in the church. That's who you should get your spiritual insight from. It's the body of Christ for which God has called those men to be pastors over your lives, you and your children. So he says, be subject. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. In Colossians chapter 4, verses uh, 3 and 4, we learn that uh, Paul requested prayer for his ministry, praying at the same time as well for us that God would open a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, which no longer is a mystery, for which I have also been in prison, the gospel, the euangelion, the death, the bear on the resurrection of Jesus Christ that I might make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So we have a purpose, and that is gospel ministry. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. If we all are playing our parts and our roles, then we'll function well. So stop for a moment and use this request as a basis for praying for another Christian. Here, they want you to record it, but nevertheless, we're not going to do that right now. Uh, Number 20, what instructions are you given concerning the support of those who are appointed to preach over you? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, uh, we we learn of, of these truths. Now, this is always can be uncomfortable for me because I'm a pastor, but Scripture is inspired by God. It's not me. I'm just telling you what the Scripture says, and I'm not asking you for anything. But the reality is, is there is a there is instructions given to the body of Christ concerning the support of those who are appointed to preach and teach. It's a it's a call of God. And if here in First Corinthians chapter nine, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So here's what he's saying: If I dedic- dedicate my time my talents, my treasure, right, to the teaching and preaching of the Word of God, is it too much to expect to be taken care of by those whom you teach and equip? No, I don't think so. I think it's important. If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endured all things so that we would cause no hindrance of the gospel to the gospel. Do you not know those that perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly at the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel 
to get their living from the gospel. This is what we do for a living. This is what your pastor does. He doesn't have typically this 401k, this retirement plan. No, he's trusting in God to provide for their needs and their family needs through the body of Christ. And we've seen so many godly people, brothers and sisters in Christ, that have provided for our family over the years. And because we rely on God, and God uses you to take care of the needs of the body of Christ, then it is amazing to see how God can provide when things are tight. It is always amazing to see God's faithfulness. And you are a great tool for that opportunity in your pastor's life. What are you doing for your pastor? Are you taking care of his needs? Again, I'm, I'm speaking in the third person. Your pastor, not me. If I'm your pastor, then I'm your pastor. But if I'm not your pastor, I'm asking you, what are you doing to take care of your pastor? Because that's what they do for a living. They're not out raising funds and making money on the side and hustles and things like that typically. God provides in that way as well sometimes. Many pastors are by vocation because, honestly, if we can just be frankly honest, the, the people in the church are cheap. They, they have these buildings and these churches, and they have all this money, and they want their pastors to be poor. Shame on you. Now, we have a church, a small church, and my salary is, is, is a, a blessing. My church loves me. They take care of me and my family, and I am extremely grateful for that. But I watch so many pastors across this great nation that are, that are just misused. They work them to death, and they pay them minimal, and they expect them to be poor. I don't think that's what God intends. I don't think God intends them to be rich, so to speak. But they certainly should not be in a position to where they are struggling financially because the church is too cheap to take care of the man of God that God has placed over their lives. So I'm speaking out for pastors who are not taken care of. Take care of your pastor. He is the shepherd for which God has called for your life, and he deserves you to take care of him and his family. So there are instructions. Are you presently giving back to God a part of what he's given you? It may not be given directly to him as pastor, but maybe you can speak up. Maybe you can ask, what is our pastor making? Is he making enough? How much of uh, our our tithes and offerings are going to support the pastor and his family and their and their ministry? What does God want you to do with regard to these things? Listen, pastors want your prayers. They need your prayer, but they also need financial support for their for their lives, because we all live in the same world. If we all have doctor bills, we all have mortgages, we all have car payments, insurance, 
hospital visits, doctor's visits, cars that break down, all of these things that you deal with, they deal with. The only difference between them and you is you can go out and do things that they don't have the ability to do because they are within the framework for which God has called them to do. Make sure you're taking care of your pastor. One quote here says, each Christian should select his church because he is convinced that within his, its particular structure, he will find the greatest opportunities for spiritual growth and the greatest satisfaction for his human needs and the greatest change to be the helpful service to those around him. How are you serving the Lord in the local body of Christ? We're called to fellowship. We're called to fellowship. Father God, we thank you for this day. A long message, Lord, but we know it's a needed one and a great reminder of the fellowship of the saints for the work of the ministry. We ask you bless this day, this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.